Coming to you live to tape from beautiful and charred SoCal, this is the second issue of Nerdables News and Notes, where we discuss all the week's big pop culture news and happenings. This week we discuss Disney making a lot of money by investing in iron, the potential return of a movie franchise mainstay, the latest comic book charts from Diamond and what they mean, and how the hell we are going to blow this mud ball stand we call Earth. My name is Chris, and with me, as always, are my partners, producer, actor, writer, Rich Rain, and actor, doing? writer, VO artist, Travis Jones. Me. Me? That's, like That's a, an interesting greeting. You're welcome. You want to just get right into it? Let's do it. Let's do it. So, uh, of course, Iron Man 3 opened this weekend, and Iron Man might as well change his moniker to Gold Man. Iron Man 3 took in over $175 million in its opening weekend at domestic box office, according to studio estimates that were released this Sunday. This will give Iron Man 3 the second biggest debut ever behind the $207 million start for last year's Avengers, and it'll best the $169 million that Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 opened with in 2011. Opening last week in most overseas markets, Iron Man 3 has already hauled in $504 million internationally giving the blockbuster a worldwide total of a st- worldwide staggering total of 680 million dollars. The movie took in 65 million dollars on Wednesday alone, a major holiday in most foreign countries. Wednesday's massive haul included an estimated 21 and a half million dollars uh, on its opening day in China, the biggest ever in that country. The film opened on National Labor Day to post the highest opening day and single day in industry history there. For comparison, Iron Man 2 amassed $312 million internationally in its entire theatrical run. So you're saying it did well. I'm saying it's a mildly successful film. Just a slightly successful. No, this, yes. this film is blowing everything out of the water. A lot of people I've spoken to and a lot of audiences have been interviewed as looking at this as avengers 2 already i mean this is just a carryover a couple places yeah from Wait. the last film that they think Marvel that made. part of its international appeal is that people it, are seeing it as avengers 2 but it didn't beat avengers i mean no. it beat avengers internationally but it didn't beat avengers here correct correct and and you only need look at what power avengers had as far as acting directing the overall supreme size of it to understand why that one was going to do better anyways, whereas this one just focuses on one of the characters. Well, it's also the fact that Avengers was something new. You had a you had a multiple franchise, you know, group together. You you had, you know, all these different characters coming together for the first time in a superhero movie that you would see more than two or three superheroes. You know, the Iron Man 3 was something that everybody's already seen before. Okay, we've seen Iron Man 1, we've seen Iron Man 2. Obviously, it's not going to do as well as something that is more new, you know, shock and awe. Yep, and I've also read a few articles that uh, a lot of international audiences viewed Avengers 2 as an Iron Man-centric movie. It was about Iron Man as much as it was about anybody else. You mean Avengers 1? Avengers 1. Avengers 1, I'm sorry, yes. That thing. Um, If the numbers hold true to what they're saying is coming out for the weekend and for the other movies... Iron Man 3 made $141 million more than every other movie in the top 10. Mm-hmm. But when you see a big film, that, especially the, the first big film of the summer, I think the, you, know, you, you kind of expect that. 
where well, there's nothing else you can take a, the the other nine films and a mass. That's them. true. We don't. And none have of them a, are big. Yeah. We don't have a Man of Steel yet. We don't have a Star Trek two yet. So yes, this is this is the first big blockbuster. So in terms there. of staying power, we have uh, you had mentioned we have the Great Gatsby next week on May 10th, correct? And of course Star Trek two on May 17th. Now I think we all expect Star Trek two to be number one for the weekend, without a doubt. I I would be very surprised if Iron Man holds out the number one spot all the way through Star Trek's opening. Do you think Iron Man three has the same staying power as Avengers? No. No, it's not going to hold on as long and as big as Avengers did, uh, just because of the the you know the fact that we talked about such huge characters, such huge egos, such a uh, huge ensemble cast, such a huge undertaking that Avengers was, and it really, I mean, it really came out of nowhere, because everybody was expecting it to be big, but nobody ever expected it to be as big as it became. It went gigantic when it came out, and uh, word of mouth carried that thing. I mean, once it had its huge opening, people were surprised about what it had done it even exploded bigger over time so i i don't know that uh, iron man 3 can carry that although so far audiences are impressed with it audiences love it it has the same robert downey jr charm to it and comedy to it you've got shane black coming in writing and directing it who did all the lethal weapons as far as writing is concerned right. worked with uh, robert downey jr on kiss kiss bang bang and that that team that you know conglomeration works well together no there was a definitely there was a good dynamic with it but if you're going to talk about the longevity of it look at the films that were coming out after avengers last year you didn't you had probably a three-week gap before there really was another blockbuster to hit you know the, the biggest things that were coming out after that were what um magic mike and battleship that came out right after it i mean you had a you know you had almost at least a month between when Avengers came out to the next big, big blockbuster everybody was anticipating. In terms of the action films and the comic book films, let's be honest, it was Batman versus Avengers last year. Right. That was the two big boys. Right. You mentioned word of mouth. Yes. Now, both of you gentlemen have seen it. I have not because I work at a comic book store. And for those of you that don't know, Saturday is free comic book day. Saturday, May 4th was free comic book day. So a couple of 12-hour plus shifts. So you're saying you had to work. Yes. <laughs> Both of you enjoyed it, correct? I, please start off. Just, just go, yes go or no. It's not yes, already... I really liked it. Okay. Yes, I enjoyed it. You are the only two people that I know that have seen it that have enjoyed the film. Interesting. Not one single person that walked in to my comic book store on Saturday said they loved the film. And I had at least four people say they were incredibly disappointed. See, I don't love the film. I don't so love I the think film it, at all. I, I think the word of mouth is mixed. And that's very interesting. I can't wait till next week when, we, when you've seen it and we can discuss it. Because I really think that we can almost just take the full episode and just discuss it. Because there are so many elements of this movie that when I sat there, you know, and I just reread Extremis before I went to see it. Mm -hmm. And I, I had some mixed reviews about that their their take on it um i kind of wish there was something wait hold on no we need so, to clarify for the audience so are you talking about you had mixed reviews about extremis the comic book or extremis in the film as far as how they portrayed it i had extremis in the film okay That's all I want to say about it because I don't want, you know, I don't want Chris to go into it and talk about it. Now, there's 
So last quick thing, $680 million already. Does it break $1 billion? Yes. Yeah, it'll crest $1 billion. Staying in the realm of movies, while the upcoming Star Wars films may look different under the direction of J.J. Abrams, they will likely sound the same. During a press conference in Berlin for the upcoming Star Trek Into Darkness, Abrams made it sound like Williams will be back to score the future films. Quote, again, for Star Wars, it's very early, it's very early days, but I believe that going forward, John Williams will be doing that film because he was there long before I was, end quote. The director has stated that he wants to work with Williams rather than Michael Giacchino. Giacchino. Giacchino, thank you who he has collaborated with since the TV show Alias. One concern, however, has to be Williams' health. While he does not have any outstanding issues, he is 81 years old, and the first film will not be released until 2015. But for his part, Williams seems open to the idea. Recently, he was quoted as saying, quote, Now we're hearing of a new set of movies coming in 2015, 2016, so I need to make sure I'm still ready to go in a few years, end quote. Williams, of course, scored all six previous Star Wars films, as well as the majority of director Steven Spielberg's work and the first three Harry Potter films. Williams has won five Academy Awards and amassed a record 48 nominations while establishing himself as arguably the most famous composer of the last century. So really quick point of order for everybody out there who's going, Michael Giacchino, who? Uh, The Incredibles from Pixar was done by, the music for that film was Michael Giacchino. He's done... A couple of the Pixar films also did the latest Mission Impossible film. Right. So he's he is a he did very Mission Impossible three too because that was a J.B. Abrams film. And he's so, done all the stuff. He did Lost. He did Alias. Yeah. He did Super Eight. He did the last Star Trek film. With he did Star the Trek. the Correct. only music for um, Cloverfield. Mm-hmm. The end credits films. Yeah, he's he's a so if the way that Williams him, is with Spielberg, Giacchino is with Abrams. with Abrams. Yes, and if you haven't heard of. Giacchino, you've at least heard Giacchino before. I think that's what makes this news is because Abrams does seem to have a select composer. He has a guy. And, yeah. But I don't think there was any doubt that if Williams is able to do it, if he's still able to do it, and as far as we know, he is. I mean, he's doing a concert here in L.A. in yep. June. He's still July, touring, uh, yeah, conducting, writing music. I don't think there was any No, any I don't think there was any doubt it. that he would be back. Anybody have a problem with that at this table? No. The thing with it, going back to the idea of actually the music, though, Mm -hmm. is the fact that all what eventually will be nine films will have a connecting piece in its music. He does have themes. He uses the same instruments. He rarely goes outside of the box. When he does, you get something like Duel of the Fates, which isn't... It's a toe outside of his normal box. Yes, and there's if a, you there's listen, a choral element. Oh, okay. if you listen to Imperial March or so, I mean, if you want to get if you really listen to the six, it, if you go to Star Wars in concert, I mean, yeah. it's Although there's you recognize not the music, it's here, here, stretch. yeah. So I, I think it, it's an obvious choice because it'll connect all nine films. He's, Oh, it's being thematic. Right. And Williams has set this whole limit. You could, you could play the whole score of 12 of them and, you know, sing the movie maybe once or twice, and you could follow along throughout the whole film. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, Williams is extremely well known for fanfares. Loves doing fanfares, big trumpeting or brass section explosions. There's um, a number of themes as well. The Olympic theme is his. Yes, I very. Yeah, he does very, very world-renowned thematic symphonic, you know, music. Um, you know, there are a number of composers out there, and I have a friend of mine who's worked on some Star Wars stuff, and. Nine times out of ten, whenever they're working on a project that's Star Wars, they always go back to make the sound as close as you can to John Williams. Mm -hmm. So when in doubt, right. you go back to what's known, what's right, and what works. So since there's three films coming up that are make up a trilogy, but they're supposedly standalone films, do you think Williams will score those, or do you think that's where they take the chance and give somebody else a new shot? Oh, I could easily see that happening. That's where you pop in your Giacchinos. That's where you pop in a different... And at but the same time, it, they're going to be... It'll still give you that, that feel, that similarity. Well, I have a feeling that they're going to require those other composers to kind of stick with the feel, the theme, and the sound of what a John Williams would do. So they get to... You basically get a structure. Here's what you stick within. Here's your sandbox to play in. You have to play with this sand, but add your own flavor to it to He'll make it... He'll definitely be the consultant on those. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. The other, the other, you know, direction you could go is depending on how quickly they write these films, and depending on how quickly they get them ready to go. Even if filming is separated, you could be sending John Williams out to the London Philharmonic to record it all over That's, the course of three. Well, John months. Williams won't record before the film is done. That's the reason why he couldn't do uh, the last Harry Potter film. They wanted him to come back, but the schedules didn't line up, and the director stated in an in interview that they brought up in this interview that he wasn't able to do it because of his schedule and William's schedule did not line up because the film was not going to be done in time and Williams would not score it without a finished reel. So he could see what he was scoring. Cool. So they, they, yeah, the I mean, films he, will have to be, he can't score all three in like two years and expect them to be on there. He's going to score them when they're done. So he's going to score it in 2015, 2017, 18, whatever, and then 2019 or 20, depending on how long it takes for the other two to come Well, out. the crazy Star Wars fan in me wants him to do all the music for it. But think of it. If the last film is 2019 or 2020, you'll be 90, mm -hmm. 91. I, I don't care. Then we need to get every freaking stem cell juice going for that guy and keep him rolling. Nah, you know, I'd love to have him record all of them, but you're talking... Not only you know is he just going to be committing the last part of his life to the Star Wars films, you know, and nothing else if if he does all of them. That's the other thing. He will have other work. Steven right. Spielberg isn't stopping. Correct. I mean, he'll do. He'll have things going for Spielberg. Spielberg. What is Spielberg doing right now? All of a sudden, Jurassic Four is going to be. No, that's, uh, um, uh, it's Rob Apocalypse. That's the one I was thinking of. All right, moving on to the world of comics. DC's announced and promptly retracted WTF month may have left their management asking what WTF themselves. After DC's market share slipped below 30% in March, April numbers for DC slipped even lower, with its dollar share down to 25.98% and share of individual comics sold down to 27 and three quarters. The entire market fell compared to March, though it is still way up over the same month last year, which means that DC's sales have probably fallen even more. 
But they are not alone in the market share drop, with Marvel slipping two percentage points for both comics sold and revenue raised compared to last month. So what accounts for this slip in market share by the big two? Image. Close to getting a 10% share, much of this may be due to the new Mark Miller and Frank Quietly Kim Greater-owned book, Jupiter's Legacy, securing a top three slot and the indie powerhouse Walking Dead taking the eighth slot with its latest issue, number 109. It's worth noting that Jupiter's Legacy number one is a returnable book and has had 10% of its sales docked by Diamond in order to compensate for the number of copies potentially being returned, which will not be returned, I can tell you that right now. Of course, that is a completely arbitrary figure, and the actual figure may never be known. So in essence, the book actually shipped even more copies than stated in the chart standings. The last creator-owned book to see the top three on the Diamond charts was Top Cow's Rising Stars by J. Michael Straczynski and Ken Chu, debuting at number three in July of 1999. We haven't seen one this entire century. Image's standing is also helped by getting the top four places in the graphic novel trade paperback chart, and only one of them being The Walking Dead. IDW has also seen improvement as well, acquiring over 7.5% of dollars spent on comics in the direct market. While DC does chop... Tar, uh, excuse me, while DC does top the chart with Batman, it's worth pointing out that Brian Bendis alone has more titles in the top 10 than all of DC, with four to DC's three. The next month sees the debut of DC's new big title, Superman Unchained, by superstar creators Scott Snyder and Jim Lee, sure to be a top two book. Don't F with Bendis. So for me, I mean, it, it, this is, you know, you're talking about market trades, you're talking about business, you're talking about money and all that kind of stuff. For me, this seems a little bit more to credit the independent guys grabbing a little bit of market share rather than, it sounds to me it's a little bit more of the other guys are making a play with some good titles as opposed to Marvel and DC like failing. Which it's not. That's a complete overstatement. But well, you get what to I'm see saying? to see two books that to see two books that aren't produced by DC or Marvel in the top ten. Let's go over the top ten real fast. Is sure. Number one was Batman. Number nineteen. Two was Thanos Rising. Number one. Three was the aforementioned Jupiter's Legacy. Number one. Four is Age of Ultron. Four. Justice League nineteen comes in at five. Age of Ultron five and six take the six and seven slots. Walking Dead one hundred nine is eight. Batman and Red Robin, formerly Batman and Robin, number nineteen is nine. And Guardians of the Galaxy number two is number ten. So there's three issues of Age of Ultron. That's an event book. Mm-hmm. Batman, which has been number one for a while, a number one for Thanos Rising, a number one for Jupiter's Legacy. I think the biggest surprise in this whole thing is that Justice League is still as high as it is, and that Batman and Red Robin came in at number nine. It's the first one after Requiem. The, right? It's the first one after Requiem, which um, Batman and Red Robin 19's WTF moment was the introduction possibly of Carrie Kelly from Dark Knight Returns into the mainstream what? DC universe. Whoa. No, it's what the fornicate. Right. <laughs> that was the whole point. And then they dropped it. Well done, sir. Yeah. Well done. But see, I think that's why that title jumped so high was because of that because of that introduction. Yeah. Yeah. Shock value. New character. But oh my you, god. But when you read it or even if you you can literally skim through it or just pick it up in the in the store and look at it and see that Well, that's pretty much what the whole thing for WTF is. But there is something to explain in Top 10 Comic Books. This is Top 10 Comic Books ordered. This isn't sold. Um, while Batman 19, ordered and sold, is pretty close, a title like Thanos Rising, from just personal experience and some of the other people that we know, uh, is not selling in the numbers that it was ordered. Jupiter's Legacy is. 
Um, Age of Ultron of those, is yeah. You, ha- even you have these books, are top ten books, right? Batman that's and, what's being put on the racks. Batman and Red Robin, yes. Batman and Red Robin is probably so high because it was ordered. As shop owners are thinking, fans are going to want to know about Carrie Kelly. Deal. Yep. And while it did decent, it definitely didn't do a number that's looking at the, the top nine. When something like East of West, which is Jonathan Hickman's Im- image book, is almost sold out. Um, there are other books that are just quote unquote hotter than oh, any yeah. of these well saga did really well because you couldn't get it in digital right which also is part of the reason that i think jupiter's legacy did really well mark this miller another non-digital mark miller book. is not releasing the book in digital if you want it at least for now i mean it'll be there eventually but if you want it now you have to go into a shop and pick it up yeah well i mean look at i, I just remember when saga came out because i fell in love with that book after reading the first issue and immediately asked stores and it was they're releasing issue by issue then it's going to be a long number of months until a trade comes out then it's going to be another wait for the next issues to come out so they really were playing the if you want it you got to get the issues right well i know that um well you know my wife picked it up and she's not the avid reader fell in love with it immediately decided after the first six that she was going to wait because of the the anticipation of wait there's not going to be it's not going to be out for a little bit so i might as well just wait and if they're going to keep stalling it like this let's just get the trade when it comes out which and how long is it yeah. going to be until the trade well, comes out okay. and the, see there's it's, it's a kind of smart little came. business play well right. the thing with saga is saga will be released as, as soon as the the last issue is out the trade will be out the month after. That's what they did for the first one, right? Right. And the next one. So it, it's less than sixty days before you see it. And in terms just of came out, so. yeah, in terms of trades, going from ten up to one, uh, Hawkeye Volume One, My Life as a Weapon is number ten. Swamp Thing Volume Two is number nine. Batman Killing Joke Special Edition still on the list at number eight. Batman Detective Comics Volume Two and then Volume One at the seven and six spots respectively. Punk Rock Jesus at number five. And the top four is what's interesting. Number four is Saga. Number three is Happy, which is Grant Morrison's creator-owned book. Number two is Manhattan Projects Volume 2, which is awesome. <laughs> and number one is Walking Dead Volume 1, Days Gone By. How amazing the is that? The top four are all image books. Mm-hmm. Not only that, you've mentioned twice in the past two top ten books, creator-owned books. Which is great. I love that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Some of it may be attributed to people not picking up the issues themselves. I mean, I noticed that with creator books more so than your Spider-Man, Batman, Justice League, X-Men, that people are waiting for the trade versus picking up the issue one by one. I've already have a number of people in the shop that Jupiter's Legacy, you know, wait till it comes out in trade. I'll pick it up in trade. I'll pick it up in trade. But if you look at these four... Walking Dead, month by month, like clockwork. Sure. It always is because Robert yes. Kirkman is well, a, Kirkman is a is taskmaster. A um, Manhattan Projects is month by month. Happy didn't experience any delays, and Saga hasn't del- uh, didn't experience any delays at all. And even number five, Punk Rock Jesus, which although is a DC title, is more of a creator-owned type book. But again, no delays there either. Not seeing really anything in here. That isn't a monthly or a regular book, whether it's four weeks or six weeks or what have you. So I don't, I don't think that has as much to do with it as that's what people are keeping. That's what people are putting up on their shelf. That's right. what non-comic book fans, non-superhero fans, that's what they're getting. And non-superhero fans are not 
they're not the guys that show up every Wednesday to find out what happened with Bruce Wayne or Peter Parker or Scott Summers. They're the ones that's just like, I'm going to come in once every two months yep. and they'll pick up a big stack. And of course, Walking Dead Volume 1 still being number one is just that's a so large number of non-comic people there. A lot of the people it. that I talk to outside of comic book, video game, you know, worlds are all talking. The books they're interested in are the Jupiter, are the Saga, are the Walking Dead. And they only want to see them once every trade. They want to, they want a storyline that they can read for near 100 pages, 200 pages, get through a good storyline and then set it down for a while and go on to another book. Well, I know we said last week that, you know, that a lot of times you don't get that mainstream audience that goes to see a movie coming in to buy the book. But Walking Dead seems to be that exception. People that have gotten to watch the show, fallen in love with the show, are now going out and picking up the book. And I think you're starting to see a lot more women who watch the show going into the comic book stores and buying the trade of that. Well, Walking Dead has a lot of things going for it. And one of the things it has, it has that four quadrant sort of thing. It hits everything. It's it's a sci-fi book in a way. It, it's in that realm, a sci-fi fantasy right. book. It has zombies. It's a horror book. It's a Western. Uh, it's a romance. It's a drama. It's an action book. It's a superhero book to a certain degree. You have these characters that have built themselves up to be, you know, larger than life. They can do things that sure. you never think you can do. So that's the type of book that it hits every corner. Jupiter's Legacy is a superhero book. It, it's a, another deconstruction of superheroes and what they mean and so on and so forth. But it's a superhero book. If you don't like superheroes at all, if you're just I can't stand capes and cows, you're not going to be interested in that book as much as Walking Dead. So. Walking Dead on almost every single level is a different book in terms of where it fits. It's not a book that fits into one genre. Excuse me. It fits into a lot of different categories, which means a lot of different people will touch it. And yes, it is the only major media, mass media uh, entertainment that has a significant impact on people coming and buying the comic book. When Superman, The Man of Steel comes out, if you are already a fan, you will walk into a shop and ask for more Superman product. That's right. correct. If you are not, you are not going into a shop going, oh, I, I really want to read more. Now that I saw that see. movie, I really want to read about Superman. The other thing that I, I originally hated about The Walking Dead TV show was it departed from the comic book. Right. And now I've come to realize it's unbelievably brilliant because it's a selling that, point that outside groups that started by watching the show and never read the books are now like, wait, so I can read books and it's going to be different than the show Again, I watched personal experience, and bringing in all those. It's, it was a personal experience. That's move. the selling. That's for me is a selling point. When someone comes in like, why should I buy it? I've already, I've already seen it. No, you haven't. No, you right. haven't. It's character, all different. Character, different characters die. Different locations are explored there. There's it's a, it's a different book. The, theme, the themes are the same. Mm -hmm. The characters, for the most part, are the same, or at the very least, the archetypes of them right. are the same. Very true. But it's different enough that I can hand the book to someone who's a fan of the show, and it's it, it looks like someone took the Walking Dead TV show and adapted it. Happens to be the same exact person, but right. in well, a way, it's just yeah, it's a different adaptation. Which move. is I've always find is the way to do it. If you are going to directly translate something, <clears throat> Watchmen, then it's going to suck. <laughs> 
300. But 300 didn't. I mean, 300 was one of the exceptions that trans. 300 did it, but 300 was such a visual book anyway. But even then, there wasn't as much in it as there was in the film. The film True. drops a lot of the political commentary. It drops a lot of the, the, the backgrounds of some of these characters and so on and so forth. If you're going to, to take a property, a big property, and adapt it, then adapt it. If you do it straight ahead, then what's the point? Right. I always bring up the Psycho remake with Vince Vaughn. Shot for shot the same. What the hell's the point? Why do that? There's nothing new there. There's nothing... What is your take? What is the difference? You take... You're, you're taking the ingredients that in one in one instance could make a cake, and you say, well, I'm going to make it into cupcakes. Sort of the same idea. You're using the same ingredients. Or maybe you're not. I don't know. I don't bake very much. <laughs> but you do something different with it. You take the, the genesis of the X-Men... You start with a different team. You give them different costumes. You give them a tweak on their personalities. You have something different that is still in the same spirit as the original, but it's not like you're going to see X-Men number one by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby right on the screen. Right. I Correct. just don't think there's a point to that. Well, Kirkman said that one of the things he loves about doing the TV show is he gets to go back and you know get, get involved with these characters again that he hasn't written about or killed off a long time ago. You know, and the fact that he gets to go back and change some of the stuff that he didn't think of before or now gets to do something a little different. He said that's where he gets to play and have fun. But he also doesn't have to do it on his own. That's no, the other that's thing. Is the Walking Dead TV show, like any mass entertainment like that, is a collaborative project. Different Most directors, different... Different directors, uh, different writers, producers. different collaborators, different producers. And then Actors you have Kirkman stuff coming as consultant and right. head producer In terms of his comic book, he's writing it. Well, yep. that's what he said. That's Charlie now, Adler's drawing it, but and Charlie Adler has some creative input, but it's not nearly. It's not a collaborative process. So. Well, the other thing he stated in the same interview was, you know, I get to sit in a room with people that are smarter than me and listen to them come up with ideas. He said, and that makes you know it, the whole process so much more fun. And he, he's so glad that he got to be involved with this and that somebody actually picked up his idea and turned it into this TV show. Next. Uh, we're going to kind of go out of the realm. This not, sounds like science fiction anyway, but uh, for all of us that are sick of living on Earth, there is hope. At least 40,000 people have submitted applications to the Mars One Project, a private spaceflight project led by Dutch art entrepreneur Baz Landsdorp. And I apologize to anyone who <laughs> knows that that's supposed to be different because I think I screwed that up. Uh Sorry, private spaceflight project led by Dutch entrepreneur Baz Landropes to establish a permanent human colony on Mars. Announced in June of 2012, the plan calls for a communication satellite and Pathfinder lander to be sent to the planet by 2016, and after several stages, land four humans on Mars for permanent settlement in 2023. A new set of four astronauts would arrive every two years after that. Although the trip and training sound daunting, the requirements for candidates are wide open. If you show resilience, adaptability, and curiosity, you might qualify. Scientific, scientific and astronaut skills, however, are not required. Of course, patience is a must since this one-way ticket to the Red Planet won't be available until 2023. Doesn't seem to be deterring potential Mars explorers, however. In the last year, 10,000 people from 100 different countries have expressed interest in the program, and now many applicants who have ponied up the application fee have submitted and shared their one-minute videos which have been made public on the Mars One website. And since this is the 21st century, the revolution will be televised. The organization plans to have people vote on TV 
For the candidates they like best, viewers will help sift through the candidates until 24 are chosen. Initial screening of the applicant pool will begin before the end of 2013. If they're going to look for people on TV, thank God that scientific and astronaut skills are not required. <laughs> but resili- resilience, adaptability, adapt- yeah. resilience, adaptability, that doesn't really work for a lot of people that we know on TV. Curiosity, that's, you know. That works. Hey. There's no patience. patience. Yeah, patience isn't going to be there. So we're getting real world Mars. You're getting real world Mars. One, the thing that struck me out is unbelievable. One way ticket. One way ticket. Oh yeah, coming back. And they go to Mars. That's it. Forget it. Game over. And they've talked about this before. They've talked about the the idea of terraforming Mars or uh, pioneering Mars. That was total recall. (laughs) No, but there's actually been scientific papers and people talking about terraforming Mars. It's possible. You knew that was a joke when you looked and said it was by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, we're going to terraform the Mars, and we're going to make it's got it going to be amazing. And then the you blue, the the blue in the sky, and all of the, these things. This red is going to be beautiful. Just the Mars. That should be that should that should be the catchphrase when they choose somebody. That's how you know. You know, instead of you're fired or you've been asked to leave the island or whatever. Get in the, hell the it is, ship. Get in the ship. When you qualify, and you're the one that gets picked. You know, you have like a group of eight people, and one guy makes it, and you know, it's like John Smith. You get your ass to Mars. Get that your should ass be to Mars. It. Get in the ship. <laughs> Get, get out there. Go to the chopper. Go to the... How's that get down, chopper? Get down. <laughs> How's the chopper going to get us to Mars? Get to the chopper. Would you mm. go to Mars? You want to go to Mars? I would love to go to I Mars. I would do it. You would I'm go one to of Mars. Those, I'm one of those crazy son of a guns that I've always been fascinated by space travel and the universe and everything that's out there that we don't know. Would you want to be one yet? of the first, what, like four guys that are going to be there for I know, a year right? by themselves? How crazy is that? If those guys hate each other. <laughs> it's going to be a horrible that ne- those, trip. Those next astronauts show up two years later. Hey, why is there only one of you? Well, well see, we got into a discussion. And, I uh, thought episode one was great. And <laughs> Bill didn't did think it. it was great. And Bill thought episode three was much better. Than I kicked one. him out of the dome, and his eyes got real bulgy, and his head exploded. But honestly, this is—I mean, as much as there's a, a campiness to it, because we're talking about we're going to have candidates, you know, voted on television, and everything. That's that's pretty terrible. But in all honesty, uh, it's amazing we've come this far in the world. We've got companies like SpaceX. That are individual private companies sending sending rockets and uh, coming up in the next year, actually sending people up and a privately owned company sending people up and back to the space station. We've got other companies putting in bids to go back to the moon. Now we've got this company that's putting in bids to try to go to Mars. Virgin's already making a a sub what sub. Sub-atmospheric yes, or sub-stratospheric uh, plane that's going to go to weightlessness. Takes you, up to, takes you up to the edge of the atmosphere and brings you back down. So, you know, we've, always, we've seen so many movies, so many TV shows, so many books, so many everything that this science fiction of going to Mars. And at this point, it's getting to the point where it's very much within reach, which but is just amazing to me. It's a Dutch entrepreneur. I mean, have the Dutch really been known for their space travel or their <laughs> i'll get right back to you on that well i think it doesn't matter where he's he's from I mean, if he has the if vision has the money and the cattle well, and that's the thing is the how much of this it. is really viable it does have its critics i mean just doing the research for it there are a number of people that said there's no way that we're going to mars in the next two decades no it just isn't happening it's not happening i mean let Unless alone the amount of time it will have to for for the current 
you know, level of rocket ships we have to go into outer space, the amount of time it will take just to send somebody out there, hence the one-way ticket. Right. That's the big problem right now facing any space travel is the fuel. You know, we, we you've got to come up with a different type of fuel source in order to really make space travel worth it. I mean, because, you know, what, you're talking it takes, what, nine months to get to Mars at least? At the yeah. very least. Yeah. So you're, you've got – so not only does those four guys have to be on a planet by themselves for that long, they have to be in a spaceship by themselves that long too. Well, and, you know, obviously Mars has not the atmosphere nor the resources for us to be able to sustain life on it. So then you're talking about until that they're... alien puts his hand in the little exactly <laughs> exactly the little three fingered hand. Yes, but we don't know. What's but I mean, we're talking about right? I mean the four ge- the four gentlemen, women, uh, men and women. However, it's set up. They're going. To There's be... no way that's co-ed. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way. But you're talking about four people in capsules and basically uh, a small station, mm-hmm. and then feeding them more people to expand that station. Well, you yeah you're you're also talking that capsule is going to land. Then they have to start expanding the the living facilities, and how are you going to do that? How, those four people have to have some kind of. They have to build a cottage. I don't know. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, so, Rob, it's, it's Robinson Caruso really so bad. A little, so a little Dutch cottage. Don't, 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 don't just the the sound of nails world, it on, on it's the red. It's real world Mars and Survivor. Good lord! But think of it. If you you're on Mars, you're not going to get anything that we. There is no you, such you, thing as internet, your entertainment, yeah. radio, right. television, film. So you're sitting there literature. and you're saying, you know what? I'm not going to be able to read the last Game of Thrones book, so I'm not going. <laughs> you know, it's 2023. Well, I guess those Star Wars films will be done, so maybe that'll be there. You'll be but like, eh, I saw the other three Star Wars films. They suck. I need to get off this planet. But at the same time, 40,000 people are already Trying. You know, in. Yeah. They're already all in. Yes, but how many people buy stars? How many people own property on, on the moon? Well, if you talk to China, they're trying to right develop it. There, are, it. there are companies out there. They already built the ladder to heaven, though, didn't they? Didn't they? Beat, <laughs> or was that the Japanese that beat them? I can't remember. <laughs> you lost me. No, there, there are companies. <laughs> it's classic. Out there. Come on. It's there classic. are legitimate companies out there selling real estate on the moon. Well, there's, there's certain. Those mi- are not legitimate companies. That's well, that's the thing. There are people selling real estate on the moon. There, that's not a legitimate okay, company. They're, they're, you're right. That's owned there's by no Uncle Tony. Yes. There's no legitimate claim Uncle to it. Tony. But there mm-hmm. is a very specific mineral on the sure. moon that we the entire planet is very interested in mining. That's unobtainium, right? That's the one that's on correct. There. That's exactly what it is. It's right. It's right next to adamantium. Right. I was gonna say the. Yeah. Yep. Adamantium's a hell of a lot better than unobtainium. <laughs> James Cameron, subtle, please. But it is—it's just very interesting to me that we've got—we've gotten to the point where it's a feasible idea for humans to land on Mars. It's not outside the realm of reason to believe that we could accomplish that. Travis Jones, <laughs> super astronaut, dreamer, super astronaut, dreamer. <laughs> I need that. I need that star. I need the the more you know star now. Right. <laughs> da, 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 da. I'd rather do knowing is half the battle. That would be great. The other half is lasers. <laughs> so that's going to do it for us this week. We encourage you to participate with us and other fans at facebook.com slash nerdables and on our Twitter at nerdables.show. And we'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email at feedback at nerdables.com. 
So for my partners, Rich and Travis, this is Chris wishing everyone a nerdy week, and we will talk to you next week. Adios. See you later. And don't forget your towel. <laughs> Erase it. Oh my god, I'm a nerd!